0: We are about ready to finish up the book of Romans. I know you're ready to finish, so am I, but I hope that you've enjoyed the last uh, the last few months of going through uh, this incredibly rich book. I hope, as we said last week, I hope that you've, if you didn't realize it before, that you've come to realize what an epic story that we're a part of. That this is more than a story about me and God, this is a story about God and all of creation. And, and ironically, I got an email today from somebody that sent me the, the lyrics to a song, and I thought, wow, i gotta, I got to start with that tonight. So there's a song. I had never heard it before, but it's written by a man named Andrew Peterson, whom I don't know, uh, but I love I love the lyrics. It says this, do you feel the world is broken? And then the answer is, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom and priests to God. To reign with the Son, is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Is he worthy Is he worthy of this? He is. Amen? Uh, It's good. And that's why this is the way we've been summarizing Romans. Uh, Romans 1 through 8. Just like the song said. In keeping with his promises, God is rescuing creation from the reign of sin and death. By adopting and justifying and giving his spirit to all those who have faith in Jesus. With the promise that their mortal bodies Along with the whole creation, will be redeemed when His wrath is revealed against sin. And I want to park there for just a second. I, I will go on to nine in a second. Uh, but if you have your Bible, let's park there for just just half a second, or maybe you know half a I don't know but uh, a little bit. Uh, Romans five. Got your Bible? Look at Romans five for just a second because it's going to tie in uh, to what we talk about in a second. But in this in this section, as we talked about. Chapters 1 through 8, it's been a couple months since we were in chapter 5. So just remember, how is it that we got into this shape? You remember? Paul says that, that this death and sin, that it began to reign with how many men? One, right? And who was that man? Adam, right? And Adam, because of Adam's sin, he, he opened the door to the reign of sin and death, and now sin and death reign over creation. Uh, verse 12 of, of chapter 5, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because we all sinned, right? That, that this is something that Dave, or that, that Adam rather opened the door to, that sin and death came in, but that we've all participated in the sin of Adam, right? we've all walked in his footsteps and and did what he did. We've all taken the fruit from the tree, right? The the fruit whatever it is that looks good and we think will taste good, the the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the sinful pride of life, whatever that is, we've all participated in that and we all live under the reign of sin and death. And that, and that's why I love this song. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel shadows deepen? I mean, there is this sense, isn't there, that there is brokenness in the world. I mean, we can look and we can see good and we can see wonderful, beautiful, awesome, wonderful things. But at the same time, there's this brokenness, brokenness in, in us. In us, in the person we look at in the mirror, brokenness on the TV, brokenness in our family, brokenness in our neighborhood, and and, and brokenness in creation itself, right? And that's why Paul says in Romans 8, all of it is groaning, waiting for redemption, right? And and that's exactly the, the mission that God has set in place since the very beginning, that he is redeeming creation. And even these mortal bodies of ours that themselves are broken. They are. Romans 8 says that all of this is subject to decay. And we realize that, don't we? That that all of this, all of this is subject to decay. As soon as something is made, as soon as a person comes into the world, they're subject to decay and death. They begin, everything begins to break down. But Through Jesus. That's why I'm saying that the gospel is so much more than just, I get to be saved. Yes, I get to be saved. And yes, as on a personal level, that's the best part of it. Absolutely. 100%. But it's on a cosmic scale. God is rescuing his creation. And that's exactly what Romans 8 lays out. And the reason why he has to is because sin has been introduced into the world. And you and I, We've already been set free from its reign, right? We've already been set free. What, when did that happen? Romans 6. When did that happen? When we were baptized. We were united with Jesus. And then we were raised up. We became a little piece of the new creation, right? To live and to walk and to be new kinds of people. Paul would say, you, you can't go back to living in the old, broken, decayed sort of way. Now you live in, walk in newness of life. And what is it that empowers you to be able to walk in that newness of life? The Spirit of God, right? Romans 8, the Spirit of God lives in you to equip you and to empower you to walk in that way. And so now we're not under the law, but under grace. And now we're empowered uh, not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Romans chapter 9 and verse 11, Paul says, God was being fair and consistent in choosing to cut off a portion of ethnic Israel for their unbelief. Because you and I, even though you may be a Gentile, I'm a Gentile, even though we're Gentiles, we're getting to experience the promises and the blessings that were promised to the nation of Israel. And and some people that were ethnically Israelites, ethnically Jewish, might say, well, that's not fair. How come all them Gentiles get to have our blessings? And the answer is because they believe in Jesus. They've bowed their knee to the Messiah and God is being fair and consistent in choosing to cut off a portion of ethnic Israel for their unbelief so he could bestow his covenant riches on a full and complete family made up of a remnant of ethnic Israel along with Gentiles of every nation, everyone who submits in faith to the Lordship of Jesus. And Paul spends so much of his time laying out that what he said in chapter 1 and verse 1 that All of this is in keeping with the promises that God made through the prophets, right? And that's why we said since the very beginning of this class that if you can't find the gospel in the Old Testament, you're looking for the wrong sort of thing. If we go back to the prophets and we we look at what what they said that was going to come about through the Messiah, if, if if we get to the New Testament and we don't think those two... ...puzzle pieces fit together, then we're misunderstanding one or the other or maybe even both of them, right? And so Paul says this is what was always promised, that this is the sort of thing God was going to do. He was going to gather up, gather up the remnant of Israel, those who had faith... Those that would be changed, their hearts would be changed, taken out the heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, and and gather up the Gentiles of every nation. And that they would come into the city of God and they would be part of the covenant family of God. And Paul says that's exactly what God is doing in Jesus. The only logical response, chapter 12 through 14, we get into sort of the practical side of things. The only logical response or reasonable response to God's mercy is to offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. He's made us this kingdom of priests and our bodies are the sacrifices. And we take our bodies, our whole self, our eyes and our mouth and our hands and our feet. And we offer it to God as a living sacrifice But what that looks like on a practical level is doing good and not evil, pursuing peace and edification, loving the church, loving neighbors, loving enemies, being subject to governing authorities, and welcoming each other in the church regardless of differing opinions, okay? And then last week, chapter 15, I failed to put this on the screen. I got done with class and I thought, huh. I never gave my summary of chapter 15. So here it is. Uh, I know you were all just waiting with bated breath. You couldn't hardly sleep this past week. Huh? Uh, just kidding. I know I know better. Uh, we have ample reason to be filled with hope because God, through Jesus Christ, is keeping all the promises he made to redeem both Jews and Gentiles. And so we're filled with hope because we know that God is a... Keeper of promises, right? God keeps his promises. He has kept all the promises he's made. He is keeping all of his promises in Jesus and he will keep all of his promises. That God is rescuing and redeeming his creation, that he will resurrect and redeem your mortal body, that it will be, as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, transformed to be immortal and imperishable, no longer subject to decay. That God will keep all of these promises. And, and our hope is based on the promises that God is keeping in the gospel. That's why it's so incredibly important. And I know sometimes we just sort of roll our eyes and we're like, well, that's just all theological mumbo-jumbo. I don't know what all that's about. But you know, I, it's so important that we read the, the Old Testament and that we see that God really did, did keep all of those promises. I mean, when, we, when you read those promises of Isaiah and Jeremiah Uh, those Ezekiel and Daniel, all of these promises that God gives to the people in in captivity in Babylon or before the nations come in to destroy and send them into exile. And God promises, hey, listen, everything's going to be okay someday. Someday everything's going to be restored and you're going to be redeemed and your heart is going to be changed and there's going to be peace. Remember we started this whole series with Isaiah 11, and how the entire world will be filled with the glory and the knowledge of God. And that there'll be peace. Peace that can only be described like wolves and lambs laying down together. That all of those things will, will come to pass. We, we don't just read all that and say, I don't know what he's talking about. It's just all figurative nonsense. I don't know what he's talking about. Let's get to the New Testament. You know, we, If we don't understand that God has, is, and will keep all of those promises in and through Jesus, then we we lose our hope. Because our hope that you really will be resurrected, that God really will set everything right, that God really is undoing the curse, all of that hope, is based on the fact that God made all of these promises through the prophets and now he's keeping them in Jesus. And if we just sort of roll our eyes at the prophets or just be like, I don't know what they're talking about, and we just kind of skip over it, well, then then we lose our hope and then our hope is is sort of shallow. I don't know about you, but, but I want one day when I know I'm at the end and I know my body is done and it's gonna be buried or when my family is, I want this kind of solid hope. Because my hope has to be based and rooted and anchored in the fact that God keeps his promises. And for Paul, his hope was anchored in the fact that look at all of these things he's promised us through the prophets. And now he's keeping and will keep all of these things, all of these promises in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's, let's finish up chapter 16. Now, I'm going to tell you already, I'm not going to try to read every name in chapter 16. There's some there's some doozies, and if I read them really well, you know, then you would just be super impressed by me, and I don't want to do that to you. Know? I would mess them all up, and then you would know what a silly guy I am, so I'm not even going to try to read them. But uh, let's start in chapter 16 in verse 1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria. Now, listen, that, that phrase, a servant, um, there's been all kinds of... Um, all kinds of writing and, and speculation and ideas about what does he mean by that? Because the, the, the Greek word there is the same word from which we get deacon. Um, a diakonos is a, is a deacon or a diakonon is the, is the word here. And he says that Phoebe is a diakonon, that she is a servant. Now, I, I think that the, the case here is the case with lots of different words, that it can be used in lots of different ways. Um, it can be used in a, in, a, in a role, but it can be used here as more of a descriptor and saying that she's a, a minister and a servant. It doesn't, even if, and, and I think there's two errors we can make here. One is, is to discount what an important person Phoebe was. Because Paul says, I want to commend to you our sister Phoebe. And probably, because he says it the way that he does, He's probably sending the letter of Romans with her. She's probably the one that's bringing it to the church in, in Rome. And so she's the one who's delivering it. And he says that she's a, a minister or a servant or a diaconon, however you want to translate that. That doesn't, that doesn't contradict anything else Paul has written in all of his other letters about male spiritual leadership or about women's roles in the church. It doesn't. There's no contradiction there. You know, so, so on one hand, we could say, well, see, there, you know, then forget everything else Paul said because, you know, Phoebe was a, a minister or Phoebe was a servant or Phoebe was a deaconess. You know, however you want to translate that, you can't use that to contradict everything else Paul said. But on the other hand, we could sort of dismiss it and say, well, she was just a servant. She wasn't important. That's the very opposite of what he's saying. She is incredibly important. She is an important person to Paul, to the church. She, and here's why. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. I think about people like Lydia. Do you remember Lydia? When Lydia first became, she was a seller of purple, right? She was a seller of purple in Philippi. And, and as soon as she became a disciple of Jesus... She was a wealthy woman, an independently wealthy woman, probably. She had her own household. And as soon as she became a follower of Jesus, what did she want to do with her house? Open it up to the other disciples of Jesus, right? That's what a patron does. A patron finds good ministries and good ministers and good servants and good missions and says, I'm going to put my money towards that. And Phoebe is that type of a person who is an incredibly important minister servant in the church that doesn't that doesn't go against or contradict anything else Paul said about women's roles or male spiritual leadership but it it does mean to say that women were and should be honored in the church and have an incredibly important role to fulfill and that whoever you are and whatever you have that you should leverage whatever you have because obviously she is a patron so she's probably independently wealthy as well that we should leverage whatever we have on behalf of the mission of Jesus. And that's exactly the sort of thing that he's going to lay out throughout the rest of this chapter. He's going to name off men and women, people that if you you, scholars have kind of looked at their names and said, well, that's probably a Jewish person. That person is probably a Gentile. That person might have been a slave. That's sort of a slave name. That person might have been a slave who was freed. Isn't that awesome? He's going to go through and he's going to say, Hey, greet this person and greet this person and greet this person. And hey, I'm sending this person to you. And these people over here, they say to tell, they say to tell you hello. You know, so he's going to give all of these things. But here's the commonality with all of them, whether they're a Jew or they're a Gentile or they're a man or they're a woman, whether they're a slave person or a free person, all of them are leveraging whatever they have and risking whatever they have in order for the gospel to be spread, in order for God to be served and God to be glorified, and that—that's what it's about, isn't it? That God is rescuing creation by adopting all those who put their faith in Jesus by giving us His Spirit and justifying us, and that's exactly what He's doing for all of these people. And so He says, verse three: Greet Prisca and Aquila. You remember Priscilla and Aquila? And it's funny again. I mean, Priscilla's name is almost always mentioned first. Uh, The movie about Paul, I love that new movie that just came out pretty recently. I love the way that they portrayed Priscilla and Aquila. If you've seen that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Because I love the way that they, you know, she's this strong woman. But she respects and submits to her husband. And they've got this great relationship. But they're leaders together in the church. And, And here it says, Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they risk their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well greet also the church in their house, right? Now, does that mean Priscilla took a speaking role in the assembly? No, that again would contradict other things that Paul said, but does it mean that she didn't have an equal and important role in practicing service, hospitality, and ministry to the church and to the community? And so there's a church that meets in their house, and Paul says, listen, these are the people that risked their neck for me. At one time, they got the way Paul met them originally is they had been kicked out of Rome by the emperor. But now, obviously, they're back and they're living there. Again, uh, he, re, he greets several. Um, and the same types of things go on to verses 6 through 10. Um, Approved in Christ, my fellow prisoners, kinsmen. Uh, greet those to this family and that family. A lot of the things, go to verses 11 through 14. Says the workers in the Lord, uh, they worked hard in the Lord. The brothers who are with them. Um, a lot of people think that that maybe he's greeting like different house churches that are meeting throughout Rome. We talked. We've talked the last year or so extensively about uh, the church in Antioch and how it seems like all the Christians in Antioch met in one big congregation, one big family. But it looks like in Rome, there may have been like various house churches. Priscilla and Aquila, one one group meets there and there's these other groups that that may be meeting all over the city in different house churches. But Paul expects all of them Regardless of if there's some house churches that have lots of servant people or a house church that has people that have some wealth or a house church that has some Jewish people or a house church that has mostly Gentile people, for them all to be connected, right? And for them all to be family. And whoever they are, whichever, you know, whatever house they meet in, all of you are family. That's what this entire letter has been about. This is what it looks like to offer your lives, offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, welcoming each other, loving each other, serving each other, not arguing with each other over differences of opinions. Verses uh, 15 through 16. Again, we see that phrase, all the saints who are with them. And then verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss, right? Why is that so important? Because you are, our family. It goes back to what he says in the beginning of Romans fourteen, the end or the the beginning of fourteen and the beginning of fifteen. Welcome each other as Christ has welcomed you. Greet each other with a holy kiss. All of you are family. Whether you're Jewish, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a slave, whether you're free, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman. All of you are recipients of a gift from God, adoption, justification, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So be family. Your unity, your coming together, your being one, your loving and serving one another in spite of your differences is the whole point. The new creation begins in you. And this is what it looks like to live as people who've been raised up to walk in newness of life. Yes, you stop your sinning, right? You stop doing that bad stuff you used to do. You don't get drunk. You don't go to orgies. You don't eat, you know, you don't sacrifice to idols. You don't do those kind of things. But you also love each other with a supernatural type of love. And you love your enemies. And you are subject to the governing authorities. This is what it looks like. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And then he says all the churches of Christ greet you. It doesn't mean all the churches had little signs that said churches of Christ. But you know that's a whole other subject. Uh, but, but that's the whole point isn't it? That all of these house churches in Rome were all united. And all of these churches that belong to Jesus throughout the world are united in greeting you and welcoming you and loving you, we are all part of the same family. And that's, that's what we have to strive to practice today. That's why I love the fact that our buildings say churches of Christ. That's why I love that, because that's what I want to be a part of. How about you? That's what I want to be a part of. Yes, practicing the things that we see laid out in Scripture about things like baptism and about things like women's roles in the church and things like singing and things like prayer and things like breaking the bread and drinking the cup, all of those things, yes, 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 and yes. And, and also welcoming each other and loving each other and being an example to the world. This is what the spirit of God living within a diverse group of people does. This is what it looks like this kind of love this kind of radical supernatural different than you've ever seen before kind of love and Paul knew because Jesus knew John 17 that the greatest testimony to the truth of the gospel was visually seen through the loving of each other what is it that Jesus said they'll know you're my disciples because you're what because you're loving each other right because by the love that you have for each other not because you're the smartest, not because you're the best, not because you're this, that, or the other, but because of the love that you have for each other. And so this is what it looks like to be the churches of Christ. Yes, it is all of these things. It's, yeah, it is doing church right. But part of what doing church right looks like is relational and not just doctrinal. And sometimes in my life, I've forgotten that. I've forgotten that. And it's really easy to, to become proud and, and even isolated because you want to be right and you think you're right. But, but for Paul, it's, it's not either or, it's, it's both, right? It's doing all of these things, following the teachings of the apostles. And that includes things like greeting each other with a holy kiss. I don't know that we have to do that literally, but you know what I mean. Uh, verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who, look, look. <laughs> See, cause divisions. And in fact, in the Greek, there's even a the there. Watch out for those who cause the divisions and create the obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, avoid them. In other words, you, you know, you know the sorts of divisions that he's talking about. The readers would have known the sorts of divisions that he was talking about or the obstacles contrary to the doctrine that he'd been taught. There, there are people, and there always have been, haven't there? Always have been, always have been. Every time the truth is introduced, somebody comes along with a slightly different version of the truth and says, yeah, yeah, but what about this? and And peels off some people to follow them. Hey, listen to me. Follow me. I've got the latest, greatest thing. Follow me. Or, or, as was most often the case in Paul's day, was, hey, no, 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 we can't, we can't, we can't stop getting circumcised. We can't stop teaching Sabbath. We can't stop teaching all these things. People still got to follow these things. They don't follow these things. They can't be followers of Jesus. So let's keep this a Jewish thing. We'll let those Gentile people do whatever they want to, but let's keep this a Jewish thing. And that sort of racial, ethnic, cultural division, that's exactly the sort of thing that Paul was fighting against. And anyone who causes divisions and creates obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine that they've been taught, Paul says, avoid them. Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now, I want you to think about that and maybe if you're familiar with First Timothy, because Paul in First Timothy, he talks a lot about false teachers there as well. And it's very similar, the types of things that he says. And and, and he, he's talking about this deceiving, smooth talk, flattery, deceiving the naive. Who, who does that sound like? When you think of someone who smooth talk and flat, flattery and deceiving the naive, Sounds like Satan, right? Yeah, it sounds like, I was hoping nobody said Wes. I, I, I'm not hoping not. Uh, but yeah, it sounds like Satan, doesn't it? He's a deceiver. Flattery and smooth talk and drawing people away. And when Paul talks in Timothy, to, to Timothy and 1 Timothy, about false teachers, he says, listen, it's Satan. It's Satan's traps and it's Satan's deceit and Satan is going to draw you away. And that, that automatically draws us back to what scene? We were talking about in Romans 5, right? To the garden and to the fall, right? Was there deceit that happened there? Yeah. In fact, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, when Paul talks about, again, women's roles in the church, he talks about it in terms of the fall and about being deceived and about Satan, and about what should have happened and what didn't happen and what could have happened. And that's what Satan is. He's a, he's a deceiver and he's a smooth talker. And, and Paul is warning them that satan is still there and satan is still active and the forces of darkness are there and they're working and participating with these false teachers and and all and what's being what's happening because of these false teachers are not only obstacles are being set up but division is happening and don't we see that still to this day I mean doesn't it break your heart to see divisions within Christianity, can't we, can't we just, oh, that's my heart's desire, and I know it's yours too, to just be followers of Jesus, to bring people together. The only, the only people that we can affect are, are the people right here with us, right? And as many others as we can bring together. Because this togetherness is the whole point. This unity is the whole point. But we also have to, as he's saying here, be on guard. Be on guard against anyone who would bring in anything that would create an obstacle. That would say, okay, you got to jump through this hoop. you got to do this. you got to be this in order to be part of the family of God. Or that would cause division. we got to hold on to each other tight. And that means holding fast to the doctrines and to the truth and doing what the apostles taught us to do. And it means loving each other and putting up with each other and bearing with each other and being patient with each other and being gentle with each other. Now, verse 19. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. That's good. Again, if we still have the garden scene in our mind, does that remind you? Good and evil. And that was so interesting is, I want you to be wise as it relates to what is good, right? And I want you to be innocent as to what is evil. So in other words, I want you to know what is good, and I want you not to know what is evil, and, and I think when you think, about, when you think about the tree and you think about the, the knowledge of good and evil, that it's not just head knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. It's knowledge that you gain by experience. And I, I'm guessing you probably said this too. I probably said something like this. We can just blame it because the teenagers aren't in here. We'll blame it on teenagers. We'll say, hey, aren't teenagers like this? But you and I not only were, but we probably have been. But, but have you ever said or thought or heard somebody else say, you know, I... I know that's probably not a good decision, but I want to find out for myself. (laughs) I don't want to just take your word for it. I want to find out for myself. Yeah, I know, my mom says I shouldn't do this, but I want to find out for myself. That, that's it, isn't it? God said, listen, I don't want you to experience the stark contrast between good and evil. I don't want you to experience that. I don't want you to know it. I don't want you to go through it because when you experience good and evil, you open the door to sin and death. And sin and death will reign over you. If you say, I'm not going to take your word for it, God. I want to know it for myself. I want to experience it for myself. I don't trust you to tell me what's good or evil and just say, don't touch that. I want to experience it for myself. I want to know it for myself. And that's exactly what we've all participated in, isn't it? I want to know for myself. I want to touch it. I want to taste it. I want to feel it. I want to know it. I want to know it. Let me know it. I know it's probably wrong. I know I probably shouldn't, but I want to know it. That's what we've done. But do you see what Jesus is doing in us and through us and for us? He's reversing the curse, isn't he? So that now we can be a justified people and we can begin to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. To, to start, start becoming the kind of people that say, I trust him. I trust him. I don't, I don't have to experience it to know I don't want it. I don't have to experience the pain of going through that to know it's not a good idea. I trust God, so I'm not going to engage in this type of immoral behavior. I'm not going to engage in that. I'm not going to serve or be a slave to my own appetites. I will be a slave to Christ Jesus. That's the kind of freedom that we have in Jesus. Slavery, yes, but the best kind of slavery, one in which you you are protected from experiencing and knowing evil, where you can be innocent to what is evil. And he says, the God of peace will soon, what? Crush Satan under your feet. Does that sound, again, like the garden? Now, listen to what it says. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Your feet. Y'all's feet, right? Yeah, all y'all's feet. That God will crush Satan under your feet. Now, wait a second. I thought the seed of woman that was going to crush the head of Satan was Jesus. Yes, it is. But then how come he says that God is going to crush Satan under your feet? Because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with you. And you are the body of Jesus. Right? Right? That as you walk in this sort of obedience, where you're wise to what is good and you're innocent to what is evil and you're obeying Christ Jesus and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with you and you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you and you're empowered by the Spirit, then you are participating with Jesus in allowing God to crush Satan under your feet. We are the body of Jesus. And this goes back to what he says in Romans chapter 12. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you see? What are you saying? All this whole list of people, all of these different people, all of these people that slaves and free and men and women and Jews and Gentiles, all of you together, you're all doing your own thing. Stop trying to be an eye. Not everybody's an eye. Stop trying to be a nose. Don't be a nose. Just all of you together. You humbly, faithfully serve Christ Jesus. Be be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And here's what God is about to do and is going to do. Crush Satan's head under your feet. That's what he was doing for the church at Rome. That's what he's doing for the church at McDermott. That's what he always will because God is a keeper of promises and you and I are participating with the church in Rome. We're participating with the church throughout the world today. We're participating most importantly with Jesus and with, when we walk in obedience and the grace of Jesus is with us and we're wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil, God is crushing Satan under our feet because we are the body of Jesus. Evil really is overcome by good. Verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, so do Lucius and Jason. Again, uh, uh, Tertius, who wrote the letter, um, Rastus, on and on. Verses 25 to 27. Real quickly, I know we're out of time. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings, again, all of this is in keeping with the prophecies of long ago. It's always been God's plan, has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul both began and ended this book by saying, here's my goal, to bring about the obedience of faith, to bring about Jews and Gentiles who submit themselves in faith to the lordship of Jesus, who are obedient to him. Again, it's a reversal of the curse, isn't it? That he's giving us another chance. Another chance to be a part, to be this chance to be part of the new humanity. Another chance to be a a human, not under the law, but under grace. Filled with, empowered by the spirit so that now we can begin to walk in newness of life where we obey in faith, trusting that God is a keeper of promises. We're wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. Summarizing it this way. As we walk in wisdom, innocence and obedience, God is crushing Satan's head under the feet of the church, the body of Christ. And all of this is in anticipation of the final victory, isn't it? That Satan will once and for all, that all of evil And all of sin and all of rebellion, sin and death itself will all be thrown into the lake of fire and destroyed forevermore. The key is that you and I aren't entangled with that, but that our lives are entangled with Christ Jesus, united with him in baptism and raised up to walk in this new sort of life. Does that mean we're perfect? Absolutely not. But we have in the forefront of our mind the story that we're a part of the story that we're a part of. God is calling you and me to partner with Jesus in overcoming evil in the world. Overcoming evil, that sounds intimidating. Here's what you do. You obey and submit. You do good. You love people. You speak the truth. You walk in wisdom and innocence and obedience. And you doing good Even in the face of evil being done to you, you are participating with Jesus in overcoming evil in the world. Day by day, moment by moment, because the Spirit is alive within you, and we have these promises and we have this hope. We know that this, in spite of the way it may look, this is the story we're a part of. Let's close with a prayer. Most Holy Father, we are, Lord, we're incredibly thankful. And I'm overwhelmed that you would invite us in Christ through the gospel to be a part of this story. Father, help us to walk in a way that is consistent with this story. A way that is in keeping with our calling in Christ Jesus. May we walk in obedience and in innocence and in humility and in wisdom. Father, pray that you watch over us and bless us. Help us, Father, to be one as you and the Son and the Spirit are one. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.